0: And he's looking, he's like, how long do I got to keep doing this? That's, that's great. That's awesome. Uh... If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. The title of the message this morning is, The Covenants Confirmed by Blood. The Covenants Confirmed by Blood. In Exodus 21, 22, and 23, God gives the children of Israel laws that, if obeyed, would guide them in the daily aspects of their lives in such a way that would please God. In fact, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 1, God said, these are the ordinances that you must set before them. Speaking of the children of Israel, remember we said this is not the Ten Commandments, but yet it was a set of laws and rules and guidelines That if they would follow them, it would bring peace and and so forth in their daily living. But it would also glorify God. So it was important to God that the children of Israel follow these ordinances. So over and over, God reminded them that he saved them for a purpose. That they might worship him and him alone. Uh, As we come into Exodus chapter 24, God confirms his covenant with Israel. As their God and Savior, he not only wanted them, but he expected them. He expected the children of Israel to honor him as their Lord. They had a holy relationship, a sacred relationship where God belonged to them, and they belonged to God. And they were to worship the one and only true God. And I love what Philip Graham Reichenro, says, In order for any covenant to be properly established, it has to be confirmed. And this is what happens in Exodus chapter 24. Whereas Exodus chapter 20 through 23 set forth the terms of the covenant, chapter 4 describes how it was ratified, so to speak. So, if you would, follow along as I read just the first eight verses of Exodus chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, Go up to the the Lord, you and Aaron, and Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders, and bow in worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up with him. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and twelve pillars for uh, the twelve tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then they sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in the basins. The other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people, and they responded, We will do and obey everything that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said... This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to go through this book of Exodus. Lord, Lord is so practical to where we live today, Lord. We read about all these things that took place and, and God, we know that there's such great application in our lives, With that you are our God and we are your people. And God, we must obey you and serve you and follow you wholeheartedly. And God, I pray that... As you uh, un- unfold your word to us this morning, Lord, that we might Lord, not only understand it, but apply it to our hearts and our lives, Lord, and that you would be glorified through it. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this text here, I want to kind of break it up in some smaller sections as we go through it. As I've said many times as we're going through this book here, uh, this is the book of the covenants that, we're to, that we've are reading that we been reading through in the last three chapters And it gave rules, regulations, some guidelines, as if as they would apply them, it would help life go smoothly. And uh, so it wasn't the Ten Commandments, it was something also added to them that would help them have peace and order in their lives. So as we begin reading verses 1 and 2, Moses and Aaron and his two two sons, Nadab and Abihu, uh, and 70 elders were to go up and worship from a distance. Um... You can remember that Nadab and Abihu were the ones who were uh, later uh, rebuked and destroyed for unholy fire in Leviticus chapter 10. But for a period here, God said, I want you to come up and worship me, but I want you to stay back at a distance. In other words, God had a set of guidelines as to how they were to worship him. And I find it ironic that in the day and age we live, in the culture that we live, we want to worship God on our own terms. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of commitment here, a little bit there, but not so much there and here. We want to worship God on our own terms, but God was very specific how the children of Israel were to come and worship him. So they're very clear. Moses was the only one, quote unquote, allowed or commanded or uh, uh, to draw close to where he was, as he had done many times. Moses was their mediator, and I thought this was really interesting here. That when Moses went up to the mountain and drew close to God, he was the people's representative to God. But as he would come down off the mountain, he was God's representative to the people. And I think that's so much, I think, realistic to where we live today. As we draw close to God, we are going to Him so that He can teach us and, and, and impart wisdom and knowledge into our lives from the Word of God as we spend time with Him. But as we close the book... We're to go out into the world that we live in and be what? A representation of God to the people that we come in contact with, right? So, it, very similar to like Moses, we're to draw close to him, and then as we take what he gives us, we impart it. So often, we kind of, if we grow up in church, we kind of become, as it were, sponges. We kind of absorb and absorb and absorb, and we kind of know this story and that story and more of this story and a little bit of that story, and we become sponges. But that's not what God's intention for us is. We're to absorb what we can from God so that we can impart it to the lives of those that we come in contact with, right? And really, they were to worship Him, but it wasn't just for their own purpose of experiencing a time of worship with God. It was so that they could impart it to those around Him. So, Moses was their mediator. And uh, together, all these men worshiped God, but they were not to get too close. Only Moses was allowed to draw close. God told them, uh, to worship Him, but on His terms. Today, I'm thankful for these verses such as 1 Timothy two five, uh, which states, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, Himself human. And I'm so thankful that as we draw the parallels between the Mosaic Covenant and what we have today, it's quite a bit different, but yet there's parallels. Where Moses was the mediator, today we have one mediator who is who? Jesus Christ, and He alone. And I'm so thankful for that. I don't have to go in a booth somewhere and tell somebody what I've done wrong this day. Uh, bottom line is, I go before Jesus, or before God the Father, and Jesus Christ makes utterings before us with or groanings and utterings which we cannot be understood. He's our mediator between ourselves and God, and I'm so thankful for that. But notice something really special here in Exodus chapter 24, and truly, this text of scripture is an outline of a worship service, really, as we uh, see it unfolding here. Uh, verse one you see, the first aspect of a worship service is that there is a call to worship. In verse 1 it says, Then he said to Moses, Go up to the Lord and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of Israel's elders and bow and worship. So there is a call to worship. Number 2, there is reading of God's Word. We see this in verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then again in verse 7. He says, then he took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. That was the second time, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But there is a reading of God's Word. You see, sometimes in worship services across the country, we have more emphasis on music than we do with the preaching because we have an improper view of what worship is all about. It is truly more about the Word. um, And we'll talk about that in a minute, too. But number three, there is a confession of faith. Um, As we see in verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and the ordinances. There is a confession of this is what God says. This is what we believe. Uh, Number 4, there is offerings presented to the Lord. We see that in verse 5. It says, "Uh, then he sent out young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as a fellowship offering to the Lord. There is offering presented to the Lord in worship. Think about that one just for a moment. What are we offering the Lord in our worship to Him? And then number five, there is a responsive commitment made to the Lord. And you see this in both verses 3 and verse 7. Verse 3 says this, uh, at the end of the verse, then all the people responded with a single voice, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded us. And then the second time it was read to them in verse 7, he says again, we will do and obey everything that the Lord has commanded Worship here is demonstrated through meaningful meeting with God. And as I said, just for a moment, I want us to get the idea that music is not the only aspect of worship. There are a lot of churches who put a lot of emphasis on uh, making sure that the music is just right. And they have just the, you know, the, the proper lighting and, and this and that and the other thing. Truly, worship is a condition of the heart. Amen? Uh, I had an argument one time or, or a conversation not an argument, Christians don't argue, right? Um, I had a discussion with somebody who said that our music doesn't help me worship. And I said, wait a minute. I agree, I like good music. And I love our worship team. And I love everything about it. And I love coming before God and and not only singing about God, but singing to God and and reminding me of, of who He is and so forth. But even if we don't have a single musician up here, That does not prohibit me, or should not prohibit me, from my worshiping Him. You see, music is not the only condition or aspect of worship. It's when my heart is in tune with God's heart. And I'm coming before Him as my God and me as His child. And we're communing together and we're fellowshipping together. And He's teaching me more about himself and I'm responding back through prayer worship can take place worship is a matter of the heart not the music let's get that straight music is wonderful but I've also seen music distract from worshiping God so we need to be careful where the emphasis is the emphasis ought to be on our heart and what it is before a holy God and as we come before him it's not just about the music But notice also the reading of God's law we see in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. And depending on how your translation reads, there are a couple of things. The law, the commands, the ordinances, so forth. The commands refer to it as the Ten Commandments. The ordinances really refer to the case law or examples of those laws found in the book of the Covenant. So according to verse 4, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Why? They were important words. Let's think about this just for a moment. Look at verse 4. And Moses wrote down some of the words, most of the words, a majority of the words. He wrote down all the words. Because all of the word is important. So as he wrote them down because of their significance. Why? Why? Once all the words were written down, sacrifices were made, and it was almost as though it were sealed. And he went before the people once again and read aloud the book of the covenant. So he didn't just read them once. It's as though he read it, he accepted it, he sealed it with these sacrifices, and went before the people a second time and read it all out again. Why? Because he wanted it to be in the hearts of the people that this is what God's word says and that we must obey. It was important words. And whenever God's word is delivered, it calls for a response from those who hear it. The first time Moses spoke, the people responded with a single voice, according to verse 3. He says, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. The second time Moses spoke, the people responded once again, we will do and obey everything the Lord commanded. Almost as if to add more emphasis the second time, we will do what God has said. I want you to think about this just for a moment. How many of you, now I want you to raise your hand. I'll just know in advance i got two hands and a foot up. How many of you have ever made a commitment Says, Yes, God, I'll do that. And reminded again, Yes, God, you know I'll do that. I will do that. And you look back over time and you say to yourself, In all honesty, I failed. Two hands and a foot. That was quite a commitment that they were making before God. I mean, here it is. Moses is going up as a representative of the people, and he is receiving all the words that God had given to him, and then he comes down as God's representative and tells the people, not once, but twice, and the people said, not once, but twice, we will do and obey everything the Lord has commanded. Question, do you think they were faithful in that commitment? Can you find yourself a little bit able to relate to the children of Israel at the moment? I can. Because I know how frail and how weak and how weak my flesh is. That I make these commitments and oftentimes I, I fail. However, Moses does something next that shows the seriousness of their obedience to the commitment they just made. And this is crazy, if you ask me. Because if I were Moses in this situation, I probably wouldn't do it like he did. And I dare to say you wouldn't either. Because this is kind of a grotesque little situation taking place here. Let me, let me just read it. Verse 7, he says, We will do and obey everything the Lord has commanded. Moses is like, Really? Are you sure about that? Look at verse 8. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on who? The people. What? That's crazy. Why in the world would Moses, after reading it the second time, and receiving the response of the be- guys, just to make sure, we're going to sprinkle you with blood. What? I'm so glad, once again, I'm not in the Old Testament, I'm glad I'm in the New Testament, just so you know. I, I don't advocate this practice, so you know. But he sprinkles them with blood. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. It's sealed with blood. What is the significance of Moses sprinkling blood on the people? Uh, I want to read this, just a little paper I got out of Phil Graham Reichert's commentary. I thought he just lays it out nicely. So if you'll oblige me just for a moment, I want to read this. The Bible does not provide an explanation, but expects us to understand this ritual from its context and from the rest of Scripture. Not surprisingly, not everyone agrees what the ceremony signified. Some scholars say the blood symbolized kinship, making God and his people something like blood brothers. No. Others say it was a form of consecration. God sprinkled his people to set them apart as holy. However, there was more to the ceremony than this. The blood showed that the covenant was a matter of life or death. In the ancient world, a covenant typically was sealed in blood to show what would happen if either party failed to comply. This was the symbolism. Remember of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15. God told Abraham to carve up sacrifices, separating the pieces into two rows. Then God, in the form of a burning torch, passed between the pieces This was part of the custom. When people made a covenant, or cut a covenant, as they would say in those days, the parties passed between the severed animals. It was a way of saying that if they failed to keep the covenant, they deserved to be dismembered, just like the animals they had sacrificed. The blood of God's covenant with Israel meant something similar. In the words of O. Palmer Robertson, the same pledge to death which played such a prominent role in the inauguration of the Abrahamic Covenant manifested itself in the inauguration of the Mosaic Covenant. Animals were sacrificed, then their blood was sprinkled on the people and also on God. Uh, God uh, God, and then this covenant was not signed but was sealed in blood, which showed the covenant meant that life would ensue. Breaking it led to the spilling of blood into death the blood of the covenant held the threat of divine judgment for everyone who broke God's law. And once again, can I just reiterate, I'm glad I don't live in the Old Testament. I'm glad I don't have to practice that ceremony anymore today. Amen? Um, to follow God in the Old Testament was really very bloody. The sacrifices and, and the offerings that, that had to be given, I'm so glad we don't live in that aspect. Let me read one more spot here. At the same time, the blood was a sign of God's mercy. God was not simply showing his people what would happen if they failed. He was also showing showing that there was a way for them to remain in his favor, even after they sinned. To put this another way, although the relationship God established with his people under Moses had a legal basis, it was a covenant of grace. And this was shown by the sprinkling of the blood. First, Moses sprinkled it on the altar of God, which showed that the people's sins were forgiven. This this is what a bloody altar always signifies, the forgiveness of sins. Atonement has been made. God has accepted a sacrifice as payment for sin. The blood was also propitiation. It turned aside God's wrath, and the blood was sprinkled on the people. And this showed that God had accepted their sacrifice, and that they are now included in the covenant through the forgiveness of their sins. The blood, and therefore its benefit, was applied directly to them. And lastly, God's relationship with His people was maintained on the basis of sacrifice. Since there were two sides of this relationship, the blood was sprinkled on both parties, tying them together. The covenant was a blood relationship, a bond in blood between God and his people. And it is is significant that the blood was put on God's altar first. For the people to have any kind of relationship with God at all, God had had to accept the sacrifice they made for their sins. And notice as well the, the way Moses describes this relationship, the covenant that the Lord has made with you. It's amazing here. There were two sides to the relationship, but it started with God. The Israelites did not go to God and say, look, Lord, we really like to have this relationship with you. <laughs> On the contrary, the whole arrangement was the idea of him to begin with. As we think about that just for a moment, it was symbolic of the relationship that God had with his people. And in that day, there was a seriousness about the commitment to truly follow I'm afraid that we've veered from the commitment to following Christ in our day and age. Anyone agree? Our commitment is half-hearted oftentimes. Well, I'll serve God when it's convenient. I'll give to Him when it's convenient. I'll tell others when the situation is convenient. We have a Christianity in our culture oftentimes of convenience rather than full commitment. And that shouldn't be the case. We should take it serious. That God gave his life, through the, gave life through his son Jesus Christ and paid a price. But I'm so thankful that we don't live in the Mosaic Covenant, as I said. I'm glad we're under the new covenant. What, if any, value is there in studying the covenant that God made with Israel? Simply, Israel's experience at Mount Sinai teaches us how to have a right relationship with the Holy God, and we're reminded that we fall, all too often fall short. And though we fail, we don't stand before Him on the basis of perfect obedience, for we know that that would be impossible. But on the basis of His blood, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let me share a couple of verses with you. Number one, Romans 3.25, the first part of that verse says, God presented Him as a propitiation through faith in His blood to demonstrate His righteousness. Covenant sealed by blood. Romans 5.9, Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by His blood. Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. I always love that word trespassing. You know, it's coming from me as a hunter. Trespass is an interesting word. I've always appreciated this word. As a hunter growing up, as I've shared before, we all know that the biggest deer are on the next person's property. And I always thought this was ironic, too, because the people on that side always thought the bigger deer were on the side I was on, I thought the bigger deer were on that side. But there was something that prohibited me from going from this property to that property. It was called no trespassing. Hunters hate that sign. I'm just telling you. But what does it mean? There is a line that you cannot step across. But here's the problem. We were born on the wrong side of the line. We were born in sin. And here's what he says here in Ephesians 1.7. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Because Jesus Christ shed his blood. We can be established on the right side of the line. And justified, and redeemed. Put back into a right standing before God because of what he did for us on the cross. Ephesians 2:13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. It's the blood that paid the price for our penalty of sin and it is what draws us closer to Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1:19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. Sealed through the blood. I want you to turn your Bibles one more time to Hebrews chapter 9. There is a whole lot more here that we don't have time to get into this morning, but I want to touch on it. Hebrews chapter 9, if you would. I think this will set the stage a little bit for what Pastor Jim is going to share and commune here a little bit later. In the beginning part of Hebrews 9, you see some uh, principles, characters of the old covenant. But as we come into verse 11, we see a new covenant. <clears throat> Let's read through this following as I read beginning of verse 11. It says, But the Messiah has appeared high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, he entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Think about this. No longer is there a need to bring the goats, and the calves, and the sheep, and the lambs to the altar and sacrifice them. No longer a need for the blood and the guts to run down. One final sacrifice. For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification, purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? Now you see you have a life. In life. You see, in the Old Testament, you heard the response of the children of Israel as Moses proclaimed to them what the covenant said. And they said, we will do everything. We will obey and do everything. Twice they made that commitment. Now you see in the New Covenant, he says, wait a minute. You are sealed by the blood. But it's not just as a matter of fact. Okay, you're sealed. You're sealed to serve and to fulfill God's command. Now I have a purpose. I'm not just here for myself. I'm here for God. So, once again, cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Now look at verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Moses was the mediator of that covenant. But now we have Jesus Christ as the mediator. So that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance, because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of one who made it must established. It must be established, for a will is valid only when people die, since it is never enforced while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with what blood. So, for when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, along with the water, scarlet wool, and the hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself, and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Now, in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Forgiveness of sins. What a blessing. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. I think some of you would have a real hard time living in the Old Testament. I'm not touching that. Oh, don't, oh, You wouldn't have a choice. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, one sacrifice for all mankind. He shed his blood. And without the shedding of the blood, you and I wouldn't have what? Forgiveness of sins. We have been justified because of what Jesus Christ did for us. What's the parallels here? As we think through this, and what Jesus Christ did, or what Moses did, there was a commitment factor involved. A commitment to follow. We'll do it. They were responsible for what they had heard, what they were taught, what they were, what was shared with them. They had a responsibility to do something with it. Let me ask this question. Do you think it's any different for you and I today? Honestly? Do we still have a responsibility to put into practice what God has taught us? Yes.
1: We absolutely
0: do. And I'm so thankful that we're not underneath the old covenant. That we're under a new covenant. That Jesus Christ has paid the price once and for all. And we have the opportunity to place our faith and trust in Him. Because of His finished work. The blood covers our sins. What can wash our sin- away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We live in a world where people want to have the blessings of God but without the commitment to God. We live in a world where people want to know that when they die, they're going to heaven. But it can't happen unless we surrender ourselves to God and His finished work on the cross. That's where it's at. And we have got a story to tell. We have been redeemed. Think about that this week. Jesus Christ started the process in what we call Christmas morning, right? When He came down to this earth, left the splendor of heaven to be born as a human being in baby form, born of a virgin, to live life, to be tempted in every way like you and I are tempted, yet without sin, so that he could be the perfect lamb without spot and blemish. And then he shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of sins. He paid the price. And never again will a sacrifice have to be made because of what he's done for us. not what we can do it's all what he has done let's remember that this week let's pray